C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yerke. Boy, oh boy, do we have oh, an esteemed guest. Such an esteemed guest today. We have Sam Granger with us. She is a friend of the pod. She's my little in the sorority, just an all-around great person, but... Mm-hmm. We also want to talk to her today about her time as a Peace Corps volunteer in Columbia and now as an office plankton. Very exciting (laughs) recent developments. Um, So welcome, Sam. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And she is also the daughter of our new number one fan, Chris Granger. Shout out. Shout out to my dad. He loves the podcast. I just, my favorite part of this whole story, Sam, when Maddie was telling me, was that he found us not because, oh, his lovely daughter listens to us, but because he was looking for Britney Spears content (laughs) and up pops us. He is a Britney Spears junkie. So he was looking for some more insights, some new opinions on the Free Britney movement. And he was like, wow, this podcast talks about that. Let me listen to it. And he casually brought it up on a family video call. And my sister texts me and she's like, Sammy, dad was listening to Maddie's podcast. And he didn't even know it was Maddie. He didn't even know, you know, Maddie and Shay. And I was oh like, my yes. gosh. I yes. love it. We love that. Well, <laughs> before we dive into our, oh, go ahead, Shay. No, just say it makes you feel good because I mean this is what I'm like up to my eyeballs in all day, which is like how do people get from point A to point B on the internet? Like how do you find things? And I'm just always fascinated by like how do people find our podcast? How do people find my business? It's I don't know, fascinating. So well before we go into the segments, Sam, maybe you wanna um tell our listeners how old you are, where you grew up and um, maybe a brief synopsis of what you're doing now. Sure. So I am 25. I turned 26 in a month, which is Woo-hoo. great, except for the fact that I'll have to start paying for my own insurance. Shout out to my dad again. Um, I am originally from Chicago, and I'm currently based in New York working at a corporate foundation. Fun stuff. Cool. Yeah. Well, to jump into our toasty campfire topics, Shay, do you have a topic for the group? Um, I have a topic and then just a general rant. I love it. Great. Yeah. Lay, lay into it. Yeah. So the topic is that I want to say I started reading a, a uh, romance novel last night by one of my favorite authors, Christina Lauren. And I think their whole story is very cool because they're like a, a writing duo So they um, usually like each pick a character and they like write back and forth, which I just think is a very cool writing um, process. And I'm reading their new book and it's very interesting because the characters are like 
I, I like I can't believe they're not being like sued for this because the characters are exactly Joanna and Chip Gaines, but if you threw in a large dose of like Rachel Hollis. But and they're having sex because it's a romance novel? Well, they're like, okay, so the premise is that they're they're this like home reno couple that wrote a book about marriage, but oh, the husband is cheating on the wife. So the two assistants have to like go on the book tour with them and keep the world from knowing that the famous love couple, home improvement couple, are having I see. this terrible affair. And then the assistants, I think, I mean, I'm only 25% in, <laughs> but if I had to place my money, I would say I think they're going to fall in love. Um, but I was just like so this is really apropos of nothing, but I was just so shocked that like they could write about that, that they could rip it from the headlines. So, and not that anything has gone on with Chip and Joanna Gaines, as far as I know that they're so lovely, but if I were them and I heard of this book, which they're pretty famous, like they, I would say sell, they're like a new number one New York times bestseller. If you're into that genre, um, how is that allowed? How is that not how does law and order get away with it? All of their cases are like ripped from the headlines. Oh, because they say ripped from the headlines, but then they say this, then they flash Allegedly. that thing up that says um, none of this, there's no resemblance to anything. Yeah. It's just purely. I guess they have that in fiction books too. Like in the front flap, they're like, this is. Oh, that's true. The disclaimer, but interesting that. It's like a millennial, as a millennial topic, we've been talking a lot about Rachel Hollis and we had the deep dive episode and stuff and Chip and Joanna Gaines are icons and the whole Mm -hmm. like HGTV, I feel like as a concept, like, Mm -hmm. are you into that, Sam? Like the HGTV kind of like comfort television genre? Yes, 100%. I love HGTV and I feel like there always is some sort of like little side drama that you hear, Mm -hmm. but somebody does. Well, this could also be because I don't follow the drama that closely, but it mm-hmm. seems that somebody does a really good job keeping that drama on the DL. So yeah, maybe exactly. this romance novel is like based on a true story of the assistants. I will say that I know Chip and well, actually, she is one of our Kappa sisters, uh, so I do know Chip and Joanna's assistant. Um, I don't know if you, I know Han, I know Maddie knows, Han, yeah. but I don't know if Sam knows. Han. I don't know if we're allowed to say this. Sorry. You are a big fan of we the can pod, so we can bleep out your name. Um, but she says that they are actually as lovely in person as they are, you know, on television. Uh, but Great. I was like, I, I'm literally going to send her this book because I want her to read it and be like, should Chip and Joanna be mad about this? Because I think I would be mad if I were Chip and Joanna. Um, yeah. yeah. So that I could just, I felt like there were so many dark and deep topics I could go into today. And I figured we'd get enough about dark and deep topics talking about the uh the peace corps adventure but my other (laughs) rant i'm sure it was also a beautiful experience i can't wait to hear about um also i'm a little looney tunes because david's dog has been waking me up at 2 30 in the morning every night because he has to go poop and i'm just like can you please go poop between the hours of 7 a.m and 11 p.m and not at three o'clock in the morning um but how is the mask wearing going in New York city? Because I almost lost my bananas today, my metaphorical bananas at Costco because everybody was wearing their masks like idiots. So I wanted to hear. Yeah. I feel like inside, 
Like, I haven't seen anyone, like, in the grocery store or whatever. I mean, I'm not really, like, going to that many places, really. So you're probably going to more places, Shay, than mm-hmm. we are in New York, probably. Mostly just Costco. Yeah. Mostly just Costco. But, like, <laughs> I found, like, indoor... Like, most of the big stores actually have, like, the Whole Foods near me actually has, like, a person standing outside, and there's a line, so, like, you really can't get in unless you're wearing it, and then inside, everything's so cramped anyways. Um, Outside, I would say it's getting a little lax, but it's hard to tell, because it's, like, the case positive rate is so low in New York, not that that's an excuse to be off your guard, but I think, like, more people are returning to the city, so it's hard to say, like, is it just an influx of population, meaning it's the same percentage as it was. It's just more visible because more people are not doing it, but the percentage of people that are doing it is the same. It's kind of hard to tell. I mean, it's like crazy town near me because there's so many restaurants open um, and they're doing like the open restaurant thing in New York. So it's Mm. like the streets feel very clogged, but it's all just like people sitting and like eating and stuff. But like they're obviously not wearing masks as they're eating, but it's outside so I don't know. What are your feelings on it, Sam? Sam it's also worth mentioning Sam lives in Brooklyn and I live in Manhattan. So mm, a there could experience. be some differences. Yeah. I just feel like checking in on the mask sitch is always interesting. Yeah. I mean, I live in a very residential area. There's not even like a lot of restaurants and bars near me. Um, so mask wearing is pretty good. I mean, if I go running in Prospect Park or something like that, I'll see people exercising without masks on Mm -hmm. but usually they're like keeping their distance from others and you do see people on the weekends gathered in groups without masks on but I feel like for the most part in grocery stores or when people are around people they don't know and they don't know where they've been they have masks on and everybody's like using the hand sanitizer and stuff like that I like it I just I did not appreciate and also at Costco today they had brought the samples back out and I was like what part of this seems like a good idea yeah I feel like it's interesting samples was not good we were talking about this when I was in Oregon that like I feel like it's different because like New York it got hit so hard and like Mm -hmm. I personally know two people that died of coronavirus let alone all the people that I know that have gotten it um but yeah, I think, like, when it hits harder, there's more people that have been personally affected by it. And I feel like Oregon, because they've been treating it well, hasn't really had that, like, run on the hospitals or, like, refrigeration mm-hmm. trucks everywhere. And, like, being in the burbs certainly, too, helps with that. And, like, not having that personal connection to it, people might feel a little more relaxed about it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um So I think that that certainly has something to do with it. I will say I got my first, like tickled my brain chrono test uh last weekend i know sam's gotten one as well shout out to bellevue i got it was free totally free and i got my results back within 24 hours so would highly recommend for anyone in new york good to know yeah it's the there's sites all over manhattan brooklyn the bronx etc that was just the one that was closest to me but it was great i stood in line for a long time like an hour and a half but then i got my results back and they didn't even take my payment information but anyways it was not as bad as i thought i was really expecting it to just like stab my brain but it was more just like a light little like tickle so Mm, if anyone's afraid of it (laughs) it's good to know know. yeah it's just a little uncomfortable right i mean but i feel like at least the doctor who administered mine just said it's just going to feel strange. Yeah, that's and how I he felt. was very right. It feels so strange. That's that should be the motto of 2020. It just feels strange. <laughs> I yeah. love it. 
All right, Maddie, what is your toasty campfire log since Um, I went off on my random tangents for way too long? No, I love that. Always good to get the updates. Um, So one of them was the article that my mom sent Shay and I about punctuation usage. Oh, yes. This was (laughs) fascinating. And I have so many opinions. Yeah. So my mom sent us an article that I'll link to about um, punctuation usage. And I've actually brought this up which is probably why my mom sent it to us because I've done some field research by field research. I mean, I've just watched my boomer relatives act this way um, in my own life, but people that learned to type on a typewriter text very differently. Like they put the double space between the uh, word and the punctuation, which is how you're supposed to do it on a typewriter, which is not, like how you don't have to do that on a computer and you certainly don't have to do it via text but I've noticed that a lot where it's like the double space between the period and the word which always cracks me up it's like that's a surefire way to know that someone's texting you that's like over the age of 50 um and so that's really funny but the article talked a lot about how millennials feel like the use of punctuation like if you get an okay period like just the use of normal punctuation comes off as aggressive to millennials and Gen Z, but to kind of Gen X and certainly baby boomers, that's just like normal English punctuation and they don't mean to come off as aggressive. So it was just an interesting kind of little generational divide. What are your burning thoughts, Shay, about it? Well, I think that it's, I I do think it's, it's 100% true. I think the double space thing you brought up is very interesting because I've had actual many actual fights with people about like why you don't need to use two spaces in between sentences and please stop doing it because when I'm editing yeah. your stuff, I have it's hard to take to it all out. It. It's just, I've talked it's, to my dad yeah. about it cause he's like, I know that I'm not supposed to be doing it, but mm-hmm. it's just like a reflex when you're yeah. typing. Oh, totally. Totally. I, I feel like I also like, I'm very proud of myself for like relearning it because when I was in college, it was definitely still two spaces, even though we were on word processors. Um, but I, I definitely experience this all the time. Like if somebody texts me and they don't use an exclamation point or an emoji, I get very like, oh, are they mad at me? What is going on? But Do this you... may also be partly my personality because I am very conflict averse and get nervous. Well, maybe that. Do you feel that way in like professional communication? Because I definitely feel that way yes, in like personal 100%. communication. <laughs> but like in my professional communication, like I'll use an exclamation point, but like I'll use an emoji if I'm, like, slacking. But if it's, like, a professional email, I'm not going to put, like, a smiley face or something. But do you prefer I mean, that? I don't use emojis in professional emails. I mean, unless it's somebody, like, it's a client and we're, like, finishing a project. And then I'll use, like, the confetti emoji because we're so excited. Yeah. Um, but I do, like... I do enjoy, and I also myself, I do use a lot of exclamation points, and I try really hard to be very upbeat and positive in the way that I write, Um, because I know that, like, especially now, especially during COVID, but I've always been like this, like, this is, these are a lot of, these written interactions are the only interactions that we have with people, so why would I write, Madeline, please (laughs) respond to my gcal invite for the next podcast record thanks yeah like well it's funny that that i can be like hey maddie how are you 
Well, it's funny that have a chance. It's funny that you say it with that like vocal intention because I think like you equate the like use of the emojis and the exclamation point with that vocal intention. But like I could see a boomer just being like, "Hey, Madeline," period. Like that's Mm -hmm. pleasant. Mm -hmm. Please respond to the to the GCal invite. Thanks. Like it's just very neutral but still pleasant. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I kind of see both sides of it. But I think it's important to bring it up, as silly as it seems, so people. The whole thing with email is you can't tell tone and people might not realize it's all about how the message is received, right? Like the intention doesn't really matter. And so if the intention is that you want to come off warm and inviting and you realize that your younger audience isn't feeling that way. And I I will admit again that I'm a very bad like person to really have an opinion on this because I'm an Enneagram nine and I also am a words of affirmation person. So like emails or written communication that is at all cold, like, immediately upsets my soul but I'm interested to hear Sam's opinion as a lover of words and uh you wait were you an English major or double major minor yeah well I was a double major and I was just thinking like Shay was one of the ones who talked through that I remember sitting on your couch in your in your guys's apartment and being like oh I don't know what to do and you were like do it you like Yay. it. It makes you happy. Do it. And I was like, you know what? You're right. So oh, that's that funny. It's kind so of good, a, Sam. Oh, thank <laughs> you. Look at those words thing. of affirmation were, and action. Yes. 100%. You were like doing the job you have now, encouraging people to be their best, like even before you had the job. So I love you. it. I love um, it. But I do agree. I get a lot out of punctuation. And I do, words are very important, obviously. And I agree with you, Shay, even more so now that a lot of the times we're only communicating with people through email. I have coworkers that I haven't spoken to since February, but I'm in constant communication with. And so Mm -hmm. the only communication we have is over Skype messenger or emails. So using that nicely placed exclamation point or an emoji, like you said, when we're finishing a project or someone did something really well, I think that's important. And I also do feel taken aback when people say okay with a period, even if it's in a text message or just as an email, even though I know that really they're just saying, okay, that's fine. Like go ahead. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's an interesting mind game. I'm kind of like, wait, and then I go back and look at my last email thinking if I wrote something wrong or sent the wrong message with my mm-hmm. punctuation, it makes me think twice for sure. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. that. So that was my first topic. The second one is much shorter, but I just want to bring it up because we got a Facebook message from someone that I don't know. Her name is Claire. And she brought up Claire. Welcome. Friend of the pod. Welcome, Claire. And she lives in Mississippi, I think. I'm just going to tell her whole life story that I've gleaned from her Facebook. But um, she uh, sent a message in relation to the deep dive that we did on Rachel Hollis. And she was like, what do you guys feel about Jen Hatmaker? And I didn't really know who she was, but then I realized she was one of the speakers at the virtual Rise conference, Shay, that you and I Mm -hmm. went to. And so I looked into it, and I think it's funny that you bring up, like, Chip and Joanna Gaines and, like, the Rachel Hollis stuff. And I won't go into the Rachel Hollis stuff again because we've talked about it in past episodes. People can go back and listen to the Deep Dive episode. But um, it's, it's just interesting, I think, this, like, influencer culture kind of bubble bursting. So Jen Hatmaker is... She's another, she's older than Rachel Hollis. Like, I would consider her, like, early baby boomer, late Gen X type Mm. person. 
And she is also kind of one of these like rah-rah inspirational people. She writes for a Christian imprint and she's kind of like, I'm a modern woman, but also still a Christian, which I feel like is super popular amongst millennial mm-hmm. women of like, how do you cross that like spirituality with, um, you know, being a modern person. And she earlier this year, her daughter came out as gay and Jen like totally supported her and everything. And she lost a ton of followers and got like mm-hmm. very vicious hate from the evangelical community. Wow. And so she was in the news for that. And I, I've like leafed through some of her books and it's good. It's like, you know, the typical stuff of like live your best life and, you know, whatever, like inspirational mm-hmm. stuff. But then during the COVID times, she kind of went radio silent, very similarly to Rachel Hollis. No one knew what was going on. And then she gave this very cryptic message that was like, my family's going through a really tough time right now. Like, please don't pry or ask any questions, blah, blah, blah. And this is what Claire, our listener, was asking about. Like, do you think that Jen Hatmaker is going through a very similar thing? Because similarly to Rachel Hollis, she has four kids. She's very vocal on social media. She talks about being a mom and a wife and all this stuff. And she's normally so open, a la when her daughter came out with these kind of like tough conversations. She's never shied away from them. So why would she be shying away from it now? So I took it upon myself to do the research for all of you of what happened. (laughs) And... Hard-hitting journalism right here. Hard-hitting journalism. Um, Reddit seems to think that she's going through a divorce similarly Mm -hmm. to the Hollises with her husband and that there's some level of infidelity there. And the thought of that both in the Christian community and just the fact that she has written so much about having a successful marriage, you know, she doesn't want to face the music and kind of pivot. Like, Rachel Hollis has pivoted hard and her whole business has, but I think Jen is not like at that level of business savvy to be like, shit, what do I do? So mm-hmm. she's just kind of like keeping quiet about it. Obviously, it's all speculative, but it's very interesting. Like during the COVID times, I'm sure a lot of relationships are struggling. People are reevaluating a lot of things in their life. And you're seeing it even at this like higher level with these authors and influencers. So well, we'll I think that's really interesting. Up. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the whole that whole like modern Christian woman influencer vibe is a really weird world because people love to love them and they love to hate them like nobody loves more I mean I don't I want them all to be happy and successful people like for them to see them like fall and totally it's like Glennon Doyle went through this all the like yeah MLM stuff where it was like MLMs were really popular and they still are but now it's kind of coming to light that they're like super predatory so like how do you deal with that like it's very interesting well I think it's really interesting and what I think circles back you know to this particular thing is like I mean I wonder if it's not something with some of her one of her kids like as well because there's been a lot in the news recently about another like Christian blogger who adopted a kid from somewhere overseas and then was basically like this kid is too fucked up I we can't yeah. handle it there's a Which, really good way, article in the New York magazine about that that I'll mm-hmm. link to if people are interested I, about that story yeah super good and you know at the end of the day like I don't necessarily blame them for presenting a certain lens over their life like that's their job I don't necessarily blame them for doing what they felt they had to do with this kid. I haven't read the article yet, so maybe they were terrible with him. But I feel like if you recognize I'm not the best person to raise this special needs child, it's better to like get them with someone right who can do that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just I 
I think it's very yeah. interesting. I don't have any opinions on Jen Hatmaker, but I just the whole thing. I mean, we could have a whole many hour long totally. conversation. I think the this. thing with that with that family that tie that kind of ties all this together for me is like the image thing and the thought the thing that the thinking that's like this is what I have to do. Like mm-hmm. all of these women talk about it. Glennon Doyle talks about it. Jen Hatmaker talks about it. Rachel Hollis talks about it where they're like they're called to adopt. And this is just like the dogma from the religion and they there's scripture that backs this up and mm-hmm. it's almost like a badge of honor that it's like, well, I birthed three kids naturally and now I'll just add on a fourth or fifth one just mm-hmm. for good measure to like do good for society. And it's almost like a checkbox of like, if you don't do this, then you're not a good, you're not really living the scripture. You're not a good and Christian, I think yeah. the impression that I got from that story and from that article was like, they they were just doing it because that was the expected thing and that's what they thought the mm-hmm. right thing was to do and of course it's a beautiful choice to adopt and no one should be discouraged from doing that and it is an important part of society but I think they weren't doing it really because they were called to do it and didn't really do their research and it was just like expected within their community so it's totally possible that the Jen Hatmaker thing it's very like speculative at this point like they haven't really posted anything but like she hasn't been seen with her husband at all. So I think they're, and I guess like he's been known to like go on. He's been seen with other women in like very Mm. flirtatious circumstances. So I think that's where it's coming from. And because they were so like, we stand by our daughter, um, you know, maybe it is like an illness or something. It could be anything. So I hope for the best for them. But I think like definitely the, the Christian influencer culture is very interesting. Do you have any thoughts on this topic, Sam? Um, not particularly. It does kind of remind me of a discussion we had many times in the Peace Corps about white saviorism and the white savior complex of people kind of people with the most privilege. So, I mean, that in this case could be a white Christian family thinking that they hold the answers to the problems of like the most vulnerable populations in the world. So they see someone at risk, they adopt them, they bring them into their family, like you said, Maddie, without fully doing their research. I do think that's a problem that social media and influencer culture in particular, which I love that you guys talk about that so much on the podcast because it's a really like striking issue right now, I think. Um, It just perpetuates negative behavior. So I think it's important to talk about. Um, But as far as thoughts on the particular influencers, I don't know. I don't really know who that is. Yeah. I can't say anymore. I don't think... Well, definitely, Claire, if you're listening, if you have any other hot deets, send us another message. Um, Sam, do you have a toasty campfire topic that you're burning to talk about? If not, we can hop into the interview, but want to kick it over to you if there's anything. Sure. Not particularly burning, but I would like to get your thoughts on the schools reopening. Because oh, I was Lord. talking to a coworker today. And Shay, I know you kind of, you are with your stepkids some of mm-hmm. the time. So this is like probably something that's pretty present in your mind. My coworker was telling me she has three kids and they're back to school, school reopening schedule. She lives like in Westchester, was so complex across their three kids that she had to put it into an Excel spreadsheet because they were doing like morning groups, afternoon groups, and then the kids all had their special activities. So I think... One, what do you guys think about schools reopening? And have you guys read anything interesting about this whole process? 
I mean, I think it's very interesting and being of an age where most of my friends have kids and I have friends all over the country, all over the world, really, we've been seeing it kind of roll out in so many different ways. And, you know, I can say here in Oregon, um, we are most likely not going back at all this year. It's been kind of like rumored, but our governor has also said some pretty straightforward things like we're not going back to school for 200 days and I'm like that's next summer yeah. Kate Brown also like how do you so, know that's so specific <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know whatever I didn't dig into it but um yeah so you know for us uh the kids are kindergarten and or I'm sorry first grade and fourth grade so you know I, we're gonna do the best that we can and it'll be fine it's not the end of the world I mean I think they're school is keeping it as uncomplicated as possible. But like similarly to what you said, Sam, I have other friends who they have like a hybrid thing where they're going in some days and other days they're not going in. And then others who are like pulled their kids out of school altogether and then are doing like special online school. And then other people who are going back full time and like my uh, dear friend from high school, so I saw the picture of her putting her little kindergartner onto the bus in his little mask, and he's going to go in his mask, and I was just like, oh, my God. Um, and yeah, and also, like, how do you expect a kindergartner to, like, keep a mask on all day? I mean, we struggle with this constantly, um, especially because, right, we've made this into this politicized issue here in the U.S., and you can't expect um, our, like, so our first grader, he... He'll just be like, well, I'm not, I don't have Corona and I'm not going to spit on that person. So why do I have to wear a mask? I'm like, well, dude, you spit on me like four times a weekend (laughs) with his exuberant talking. But um, yeah, so I mean, I think it's just, I don't know. I think it's really complicated. I do think the right choice is to keep kids home as much as possible. But the the really, I think, complicated thing that comes up from that is they're saying women, once again, millennials getting screwed because we're the ones with the babies. It's it's going to like change the face of work for millennial women and that millennial women will probably, especially those of us who are older and already are behind because of the 2008 recession, will now be further behind because we're basically, you know, having to put our careers on hold for a year to to homeschool children you know that's and and this these responsibilities are overwhelmingly falling to women and not not to men so yeah Yeah. I think it's interesting like New York City just announced that they're delaying the reopening for like 10 more days or something Mm -hmm. I think like related to the school opening but also for obviously I don't have kids and I have less friends that have kids so I'm not as impacted by it certainly like my coworkers and things like that but the thing for me with all this coronavirus stuff is like, to your point, uh, Sam, about your coworker with the Excel spreadsheet, like, I feel like I have to do that with like every aspect of my life now. Like I'm going yeah. on this Labor Day trip and I was like, we were like, okay, you either have to quarantine for 14 days or you have to get tested and then quarantine afterwards before, after you get your results back and like do this, that and the other thing. And like we had all these spreadsheets going of like, where are we going to get tested? And then it's like, oh, OK, they just announced that gyms can reopen on September 3rd, but not the gyms in New York City because they have to get uh, special whatever, like things done to them. And like there's there's just no it's like something is announced and then there's excitement around it. And obviously parents are excited to not have to do the like craziness of trying to work and 
school kids at the same time and they're planning around that and then now it's like 10 days is it's great that they're giving more time to the schools to prepare and like figure it out but it sucks for parents that now have to spend 10 extra days worth of like money to watch their kids if they can't afford it or you know they had this plan in place and that's not that many they were supposed to go back on September 10th that's only 10 days from now so like I I don't know how parents are doing it I think it's like super regional and the like keeping kids at home thing it's really gonna hurt the kids that don't have a parent that can really pay attention to them all day or because we know that kids are gonna the kids that have the means from their parents are going to go into the private schools or do these like learning pod things that are like super popular in New York. And I know they're happening like all over the country and stuff like the suburb that my parents live in. The Catholic schools are like oversubscribed. Like there's one Catholic school that's opening a second campus this year because so many parents who were in the public schools like were like, we can't, I can't physically do it. And sometimes it's like, it sucks, but you have to make the economic decision of I can't take any more shifts off work and the Catholic schools are pretty cheap. Like, let's just do it. And the risk level of like, OK, we're at an under one percent test positive rate. Like to me, these are really tough decisions, but I can see how people are making them. So I'm glad it's another thing to put in my arsenal of like why I never want to have kids. So I never have to have this headache because it seems like a fucking nightmare. Um, So I feel very lucky, but I think like it's just an added extension of like we're all dealing with this. Like anytime you're trying to take a vacation under the pandemic, anytime you're trying to see friends like Sam, you and I were talking about this last time we saw each other. It's who knows what other people's comfortability level is like some people want you to get tested every week before you see them. Some people are like don't even believe in any that they think it's just like a full hoax. And so I think everyone is on a spectrum between those two end groups And, like, no one fucking knows and no one can plan for the future. And I think, like, kids are no bullshit. Like, what you were saying, Shay, where he's like, I'm not going to spit on anyone. And, like, yeah, it it really, like, there's already no logic. So it's really hard, too, because just what you were saying about the comfort level. And it's, I mean, uh, I can't probably say this on the podcast, but it's hard because kids are seeing different things happen with different families, whether or not, sure. you know, well, we talked about this a... with like Kelsey on the campfire mm-hmm. episode, like even the high school kids, um, this is yeah. Shay's cousin's kid. Like Chris is being a little bit, I would say more on the conservative side with what she's mm-hmm. letting her kids do. And I think like your family in general is being super, super careful in a way that a lot of people aren't. And that's mm-hmm. a fine choice, but like, it does suck when the kids see it and they're like, all the other kids get to play with well, yeah. their friends or whatever, have parties yeah. in the neighborhood. Yeah. And I think too, you know, I think a lot of families deal with what we deal with, which is, well, at mom's, we can do this or at dad's, we can do this. And yeah. why can't we do it? And it's, and, and they, a kid just doesn't have the nuance to work through all of that. And, um, that is the thing that I think sucks the most. I mean, we had a lot this weekend of like, we were like, we're going to go get a cupcake. And they were like, a cupcake? This is boring. Like, why Like, why can't we go do something fun? Like, why can't we go to the beach? Why can't we go hiking? Why can't we do all? Why can't we do this? And I'm like, well, because this is our only option, guys. So <laughs> suck it up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. What so. about you, Sam? What are your feelings on it? You know, I uh, am glad I don't have kids right now. I can say <laughs> that. I 
talking to my coworker today, it was crazy because this woman is probably, she's like my manager's manager. So she's a few levels above and I know she has a ton of work to do. Um, and just having to manage that, manage your house, manage like her parents yeah. live nearby. So she's helping them out. Just like a whole group of things that I'm glad that I don't have to worry about. But Maddie, you're totally right. And I didn't think of it like that. My life is pretty much managed by a spreadsheet or Google searches or, you know, any little bits of information I can find out and write down and be like, okay, this is a solid piece of information. This is what I'm going to work towards. That's what I'm doing right now because it's the only thing that puts some sort of order and kind of structure into my life. So yeah, it was, it was interesting. And I think with the schools and the kids, you never know what kids are going to do. I feel like that comment that your first grader made, Shay, could have yeah. come from a 12th grader as well. It's like, well, mm -hmm. mom, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to spit on anyone. Yeah. It's like, you never know. And then yeah. you have the teachers in the mix who are like, mm -hmm. some of them itching to get back into the classroom. Others are like, I know how kids are. It's not safe. So mm -hmm. it's, there's a lot of voices in that conversation. And yeah. I think it's a lot of millennials too, because mm -hmm. there are a lot of really young teachers, teachers who are just starting out. And mm -hmm. then teachers, you know, there are parents who say, I don't know what my kid's teacher is doing on the weekend. Yeah. Like, do I want my kid in that teacher's classroom? You get a lot of that as mm -hmm. well. So I think it's a really interesting conversation and yeah. it'll be interesting to see how it plays out kind of area by area. Mm -hmm. And then just hopefully, um, all the kids will stay safe and people mm -hmm. won't rush into things, yeah. I think, is the biggest hope. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Exactly. Luckily, right. kids don't get as sick. Thank goodness. Yeah, thank goodness. They yeah. just come home and lick me and then I get it. So. <laughs> yeah. It's so, well, I think it's interesting just like there there's two kind of like final points, I think, from what you were saying, Sam. One is Shay and I were talking about this with some of your associates in Portland of like, you know, Sam, your boss's boss, like, does she have a husband? What is he doing? Is he helping with the family? Is he helping with the kids? Like, these multi-generational households where it's just assumed that the woman's gonna, like, pick up and do everything when there's a crisis, like, that's bullshit. So I'm glad, like, you guys both brought up those aspects. I think that's, like, a good PSA of, like, any women listening. Like, maybe sit back and reflect of, like, how much of this spreadsheet and googling management are you doing versus your significant other or your husband and if it's a little unbalanced maybe address that probably a good idea um for long-term health of the relationship um and then yeah i think like it's going to be interesting to see um how it plays out and i certainly don't envy the position yeah but we're all living not at it. all <laughs> All right. Well, let's transition into the interview. Shay, kick it off. What are your burning Peace Corps questions for Sam? Oh, my gosh. So, Sam, tell us a little bit about, I mean, clearly Maddie and I know, but uh, where you were in the Peace Corps, how you made the decision to join the Peace Corps. And then I think the third part of my initial question, because it's very complex, is um, – what were those first few weeks like? Because I feel like when I've heard your story and the stories of other people in the Peace Corps, I'm like, that is not what I thought it was. And also, I cannot believe 22-year-olds go off and do this alone. Yeah. Okay. So, great question, Shay. Um, I was in the Peace Corps in Colombia. So, 
Colombia is a big, very diverse country. So I was on the northern coast, um, which is a pretty like rural area in a lot of ways. There are major cities kind of along the water, but the Peace Corps sites were outside of those major cities. So I was a community economic development volunteer, which means that I was teaching and that you can't see what I'm doing air quotes, teaching and co-facilitating classes on entrepreneurship and financial literacy in that rural environment. And then whenever the opportunity presented, helping people kind of organize their accounting and their books or their business plans and kind of action businesses in the rural environment because the economies are are very closed because um, each kind of municipality is spaced out and obviously they get more and more spaced out the further um, into the country you go. Um, so having a self source of income is really important for a lot of families who live in these kind of closed economic environments. So that was kind of the what I did there and where I was. Um, the decision to get there, you know, I was thinking back on this because I figured it would be something that would come up. And I was thinking back to my senior year of college and kind of the different decisions I made to end up in this place. So I actually applied for the Peace Corps on December 31st before heading to a New Year's Eve celebration in my hometown outside of Chicago. Hell the yeah, so fun. For the application. I was there. So fun. Um, Debaucherous evening. Oh, no. Too many, too many drinks that evening, for sure. Um, the deadline for the Peace Corps applications is December 31st for a lot of their programs. Oh, so right in under so the wire. Really, like, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to do it. It was something that I had thought about a little when I was actually applying for college as something that I might want to do because I'd always felt that I wanted to serve the country in some way. I tried mm -hmm. to like go to the military academy. That didn't work out for various reasons. Then I ended up at NYU. And obviously there's a lot of volunteer opportunities in New York. So I was always very interested in, in some type of service. Um, so I just, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after I graduated. I had gone on a few job interviews for like analyst programs in New York and Chicago. And I was like, is this really what I want to do? Do I just want to hit the ground running or do I want to do something different um to start out with that I know knowing myself would I would never do 15 years down the road when I'm already like settled in a career with a family mm -hmm. or whatever so the decision to apply was pretty last minute I did not expect to get um an interview for the position so I ended up hearing in February that I got an interview I had already accepted a job in Chicago in February to go back after graduation. Mm -hmm. um, but then as I got further and further along in the Peace Corps process, I was like, wait, what am I going to do if I get this job? And I ended up getting the Peace Corps position. So I didn't go back to the finance job I got in Chicago and took the job in the Peace Corps. Um, as far as to why, I said, you know, service was something that I was always called to. But I also wanted to learn Spanish and I wanted to experience another culture in a way that is literally impossible unless you can dedicate two years to living mm -hmm. in a foreign country and actually like living in a rural community which was something that I'd never thought about doing but something that was very interesting to me once opportunity um, 
was in front of me and was presented. So once I got the offer, I felt like I really couldn't say no because it was such a unique experience. Um, your last question, Shay, was what were the first? Yeah, what was the first like, right? couple weeks like? Yeah. Because so, I didn't realize this whole, like, they drop you in a field, basically, and say, see you in two years. Yeah. So it, well, I feel like even you know, before that, like, when you're in the town, like, you do training before you go to your site, right? Yeah. So my experience, and I know countries are different, so this is, like, specific to Colombia. Mm-hmm. And we did 12 weeks of training before we were actually sent to our sites, where we were in towns that were around like a training center living with host families so those 12 weeks were really used for us to work on our Spanish and to kind of like learn what it meant to teach entrepreneurship or um, advise an entrepreneur in this rural culture which thinking back on it is honestly insane (laughs) because I look at the things I did through college and like in high school and I was not qualified to teach entrepreneurship at all and in my mind I was like someone's gonna drop me in this town like you said quite literally like in the middle of a bunch of fields Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna go there with my broken Spanish that I am just learning and just trying to figure out and try to talk to people about how to manage their personal finances and start their own business hopefully make a living I think this was an interesting part, like when you first told me this, Sam, because I think when people think about the Peace Corps, they at least this is what I thought about. I thought about like health and stuff like there was a big push for Peace Corps volunteers for like AIDS literacy in Africa. Like that's always what I thought about was like, you know, teaching people about like public health things. And so the fact that the Peace Corps even had a program for entrepreneurship in this type of training I didn't even realize, but it definitely is more. I mean, the public health aspect is certainly there's a lot of expertise involved there. But I think what you're talking about, the financial literacy aspect is more specialized. And it's not just like, here's the prescribed doctrine of like how to keep people safe. Like science, I think, can span cultures, but financial literacy is more cultural specific, maybe. Yeah. And I think that is actually a very informed opinion that a lot of people don't have specifically a lot of people who like myself I did not have that opinion I was like always very comfortable about talking about money I knew that a lot of people weren't but to be dropped in a in like in this town where I don't know anyone and I don't know the language and I don't know anything about the background of how people in Colombia talk about money think about money that was crazy um and I think As I'm saying all this, I just want to draw attention to one thing that this is like very obviously my personal experience and I don't want to create a single story or a stereotype um, because every Colombian is obviously different. Every person's Peace Corps experience is different. And like just because I had positive and negative experiences and then came out with like a positive experience as a whole that doesn't mean that everyone I spoke to had a positive experience with me or that my Peace Corps colleagues also had a positive experience. So I'm going to try to stay away from stereotypes because I don't want anyone to walk away from this being like, no Colombians know anything about entrepreneurship because that is just strictly not true. Um, But I will say the Peace Corps has to be invited into the countries that they are working in. So the government usually uses the Peace Corps... um, 
to like fulfill a need that they might not be able to fulfill themselves. Mm. So in this case, it was training for entrepreneurship and financial literacy and English. So the Peace Corps had like two programs in Colombia. One was this economic development and the other one was English as a second language. So the government identified the need and then we were kind of sent there to work with the community to try to train people that when we left, they would have trained individuals who could fill the need in these rural communities. So that's the whole idea of it. And I really didn't figure that out until I was actually in my town. So the training, to speak to Shay's question about the first couple weeks of being there, was really just us trying to learn Spanish and, you know, our, the Peace Corps kind of making the decision on whether or not we would be able to be safe and fend for ourselves in these rural communities. Which So if, if you're a real, you know, flake, I guess for lack of a better word, let's say if you have your head in the stars, do they send you back to the U.S. if they're like, you can't yeah. make it? Wow. Yeah, they do send you back. And if you can't reach a certain language proficiency or you demonstrate characteristics throughout the training that show you're not going to be like a good representation mm. of the United States in your rural community, they'll send you home. And no, that doesn't like always weed out all of the people who end up being a positive representation of the United States in their community. But that mm-hmm. is something that was really drilled into our heads is that like for some of you in the rulest of the towns that you're going to be in, you are like the only American this person is going to interact with maybe for 20 years, perhaps their whole life. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know if they're ever going to leave the Pueblo or if another Peace Corps volunteer is ever going to come. So you have to like try your best to be a, to present like a good images of what America is and, and what the Peace Corps is. I think a big piece of like the initial 12 weeks that you told me that was kind of shocking was the food aspect. If you could maybe talk to that a little bit, because food is obviously such a big part of like everyone's day and there's a huge element of culture shock. But like, I think that that was something coming at it from my perspective of not having experienced it, talking to you off mic of like being immersed from day one in a very different food culture and how that affects like your mood and your ability to like do your actual work when you're like I feel physically very sometimes ill because a it's just very different food and maybe your body is not used to like eating so much of one certain thing or whatever like it's not necessarily bad it's just different um so maybe you can speak to that aspect too for sure so the Um, first 12 weeks were the training and during that time our host families were supposed to cook for us so we could get accustomed to local foods and um, kind of train our stomachs to be accustomed to the local diet while we were still close to the doctor's office and had um, good access to the Peace Corps doctors um, that worked with us throughout the whole two years. So I had a really hard time with the food, which was crazy to me because in the States, I'm like a tank. I know yeah. no one can see me, you can only hear me, but I'm like six feet tall and like 200 pounds. So like I can eat, I am a girl that can eat. And I was expecting to be able to go there and eat whatever I needed to eat, whatever was available to me. And that was just not the case. The diet on the coast of Colombia is heavily like, 
fish, but like fried fish and mm-hmm. other fried things. So like empanadas, these things called patacones, which are like um, plantains that are smushed and fried twice. Um, I mean, French fries, delicious. Dog. Yeah, it sounds delicious for like a week. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, I want a big sweet green salad. Yes. Like oh that's, you know, that's what you get to. So it was really tough because I think the biggest part for me was like the oils, the fried stuff was too heavy on my stomach. And it was hot there. It is like mm-hmm. almost 100 degrees every day on the Colombian coast, even hotter some days in some parts of yeah. the year. And people don't so realize I would I would talk to Sam like it's 100 degrees like all year round. There's no like yeah. seasons. That was the other thing that when you told me that I was like, whoa, like there's no relief. And obviously air conditioning is very sparse. Yeah, there's no no seasons. Sometimes there's a breeze if you're close enough to the ocean. But the worst part is like the sun is just different there. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, you're closer to the equator. It's nothing like your Midwest great north summer sun. Like it is mm-hmm. a real sun. And if I was outside for five minutes and didn't have a hat or sunscreen on, I would get burnt. And when I came back, or Maddie, when you visited me, I was just like one giant freckle because my skin just could not handle the heat. My body could not handle the food. And I was like ill probably the entire time. And I, Maddie, at a suggestion of Maddie, I looked back at the journals I'd kept. My friend Jacqueline like sent me this really cool journal that is like a weekly writing exercise. Um, and I actually did it for an entire year, which is still crazy to That's me. That's amazing. Because, like, sticking to something for a year is like not easy. I can't really even complete a 30-day yoga challenge anymore. <laughs> so um, some of the things it asks you every week to write down three things you're grateful for. And like almost every week it was like health, <laughs> running water, like air conditioning, fans. Eyes that can see was a great favorite one. <laughs> and um, like, I just really it's just grasping so, at straws there for the eyes. Really, that can see one. <laughs> yes. And then it's just like some things are great. Some weeks were great. And you can tell by the three things I wrote down because this one's like love, future, and a growth mindset are the, <laughs> were the three things I was grateful for. And then other ones, it's literally like the fact that I can see that the water came on this week. And that I had a good conversation with someone. Aww. Like, it's just crazy. It was crazy. Every week was different. Truly a wild, a wild ride yeah. there. Health and health, physical health and mental health for sure. Yeah. Was That's so fascinating. So, so you start out, you're eating this food. You're like, it's terrible. Now, was there a lot of pressure to I just I know personally experiences in a lot of Hispanic cultures, again, not wanting to stereotype, but. I would say this is also very prevalent in many parts of American culture where people are like, you have to eat this food and you have to eat large quantities of it or you are not being a good guest. Did you, did that come up a lot? Because I think Uh that would be really stressful. No, a hundred percent. And it's not, and you, you have to finish your plate or else someone's like, you didn't like it. Why didn't you like it? Can I do something different? Can I make you something else? Which for me, I hate being a burden on anyone. So mm-hmm. it is like one of my biggest points of anxiety for someone to be like, oh my gosh, like, what can I do for you? I'm like, no, no, you've done enough. I can do whatever I need to do for myself. Like, just let's take a step back. I just, 
am not that hungry because it's 90 degrees and you give me like a bowl of piping hot soup full of like pork. You know, like that's a heavy meal, soup on a hot day, not things I was used to. So yeah, there was pressure to finish. And like, if you didn't finish your, your food, people would question it. And then during training, our host families, I was really lucky with mine. They was this fantastic woman and her daughter. But like some people, their host families would write in to like the Peace Corps um, trainers who were training us and say like, she's not eating, she's unhappy, she's not assimilating with the culture. And those are like big things, right? Because mm-hmm. if you want to stay, you have to like at least make it look like you're really enjoying this crazy change in your life and that you're not having a hard time adjusting at all mm-hmm. like that's kind of what you were taught to act like um to kind of make it through your training and get to your eventual site where you would spend like the full two years um but yes very so very crazy time you do your training you get to the site what does your day-to-day look like uh what are some of the projects you're working on the highs the lows yeah so definitely varies from person to person and country to country like I said but I as I mentioned was very lucky with my host family during training and then I was also placed with a very great host family in my kind of permanent two-year site Um, and I kind of the first year basically just spent a ton of time with them because my Spanish was bad like (laughs) I could not teach a financial literacy class there's a video of me somewhere of me like making my introduction to all of these teachers at the school I was working with on one of the first days I was actually at my site. And it is like, I can't even understand myself. I'm like, what was I trying to say at that point? But like bless these teachers who were very engaging to start out with and like helping me learn and allowing me to observe their classes. Because if I hadn't had that time, and the host family that I did, I would not have succeeded because I would never have learned the language. So the first year was really just observing things and trying to learn about the culture and trying to make genuine connections with people mm-hmm. and really learn who the people actually doing the work in the community were. Because the way I was trying to approach my service, which I don't know if it's the right way. I don't know if it's you know, the wrong way. Some people might hear this and be like, this girl is the worst. But what I was trying to do was not, I wasn't trying to teach anyone anything because before you do that, somebody has to tell you what, what they need to know. Mm -hmm. And you can't expect people to come to your class or trust you or want to work with you if you don't first know where they're coming from. And it was very obvious to everyone that I had no idea. Like, even if you don't know what my background is in the United States. Like I grew up in a Midwestern suburb, upper middle class. I had a very comfortable upbringing. Never in a million years growing up did I think I would move to Colombian Pueblo and actually spend two years there. But, you know, that foundation of trust that you have to build to allow yourself to be successful and allow other people to kind of buy into what you're doing is like, was fundamental for me. So that was the first year really doing all of that. And then the second year was working with the people that I built the relationships on. Mm -hmm. So like day to day, it was just calling up someone who I had a friendship with being like, Hey, like you are a community connector. Like, what are you doing today? What can I help with? 
or mm-hmm. like what project are you working on? Is there any way that I can help you? Because what didn't work and what I tried to do a couple times during my first year was start things myself. Mm-hmm. So people, you know, I could, I walked in there and I was like, okay, like these people don't know how to save money because everyone's living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. Definitely a single story. And like, I didn't think past that during my first year. And I tried to start like an entrepreneurship class for like single mothers who wanted to learn how to manage their finances. Mm-hmm. And like, not only do they not know any single mothers, but like single mothers don't have time at three o'clock in the afternoon on a Tuesday to come to a financial literacy class. Yeah. They're taking care of their kids. They're working. They're like trying their hardest to make the money they need to do whatever that is they need to do that week. And like, I hadn't built the relationships yet, so I had no idea. But in my second year, when I actually met some community members who were doing these things already, they were like, yeah, we already know it's Sunday afternoon. That works the best for these people. Mm -hmm. So if you do it on Sunday afternoon and you start with all these connections we have, people will come. And I'm like, okay, so who's going to do it with me? You know, it was just, I had to like relearn everything. And Mm -hmm. it's such a reflection of how... I think I grew up and almost like we as Americans think that we need to go into places and like do things for people, which is just like not true. Mm -hmm. People are already doing the things or trying to do the things and they might just need like literally the ability to put in their WhatsApp story that like the gringa is going to be there. So like come if you want to meet the gringa and like learn what we have to say about financial literacy and maybe like start saving towards your kid's future or something like that. Yeah. Like it just, I, it took me forever to really realize what my role was. And like the day to day, it changed every day because I, you know, I never really made my own schedule. It was always like people calling me or me calling people trying to figure out like what the deal was that day, what people were doing. Yeah. I think that was something that I didn't realize that the Peace Corps doesn't really give you set tasks. Like you have all these tools in your toolkit, but it's not like the military where there's a clear like command structure of like you're joining you're enlisting and someone like tells you what to do it's actually the opposite of that like from hearing your story and then talking to like what Corey experienced in the military it's almost like polar opposites but I feel like for a lot of Americans they're like oh you're going overseas it's like the military and it's kind of like an easy choice for people that like don't know what they want to do as an adult but like the fact that you're going there and you're having to make your own schedule and there's not these like boom 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 like here's a you go into the town with a list of people to talk to it's like you really have to make your own way so what was that kind of like like on the day-to-day level like did you just go like door-to-door did you leverage your host family like how did you make those relationships to begin with and did you feel like as a white American woman people like either didn't take you seriously or like put you on kind of a pedestal like what was that like yeah, um, day to day, it was really just showing up to things. So there were always events in the town that either my host mom was a part of, my host sister was attending, or the mayor's office was putting on. So I would go to those events. Can I ask how big the town was quickly? Sorry, just to set the t- scene. Yeah, so my town had about 60,000 people in it. Okay. But spread out over a ton of land. So there was like one kind of urban center to the town that had 20,000 people kind of through its differing neighborhoods. And then everybody else, so like other 
whatever, what did I say? 20,000, 40,000, 60,000. Mm-hmm. So 40,000 more were like out with the cows and like the okay. actual countryside um, and like different little pockets of, they're called corregimientos. I don't know what the translation is in English, but like little neighboring neighborhoods. Hamlets. That were like out. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Go on yes. with your, your story. Um, no, totally. So, um, would be showing up to those events and like seeing if someone would give me the mic for a couple minutes and I would be like this is what I'm here doing here's my phone number contact me if you like want to learn more about it or if you think there's some way I could fit into the work that you're already doing um so like day to day it was that was kind of like going out and selling what it is like I was supposed to be doing there um because I was also I don't know if I said this already like the first volunteer in that town so nobody knew what the Peace Corps was. So really like that first year, like I said, was just like me figuring out who was who and who would have interest in working with the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was like the day to day trying to just get the message out there. And then the second year was more doing the thing that I wanted to actually do or I was supposed to do as part of like my mission as a volunteer. But Maddie, to your question, being a white American woman, especially like of my like size and stature, like I look so American, you can could not place me anywhere else. Um, people did put me on a pedestal. And like I had a completely different experience than my black or Latina cohort members because they kind of face people saying like, well, you don't look like a gringo. You're not American. Like Americans can be black. We didn't know that like you're a Latina, like you're from Mexico, like why are you here pretending to be American? Like those were conversations that people needed to, that people had and they had to kind of get over that hump before they could start doing any of like the figuring it out and messing up things that I did. And like what I found is I could mess up way more. Like I could go to the discotheca with my host family on a Saturday and like stumble out of there with my host sister at like 2 a.m. and no one would say anything versus like if one of my minority counterparts did that like they would be the talk of the town and no one would trust them with their kids in the school yeah and like you know it was very easy for me to do things because I am so white and so American looking people automatically trusted that I had like this wealth of knowledge to share and like came from a point where I could like actually teach them something which to me was startling because I didn't see that as the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you feel like there was any, like, it's funny. Cause I feel like it's kind of like American small towns too, where it's like kind of super gossipy. Like you've told me some things over the time of like any small town. So it's kind of funny to see that the small town, like everyone's up in each other's business translates so, across cultures, which is so, so funny. True. Um, but I'm curious from like a safety perspective, you're going out there like, A, that takes guts to just be like, hey, I'm just learning the language. Talk to me. I have something to say. But as like a single woman and for a while you were the only Peace Corps volunteer in your town, you got a counterpart at one point. I don't know if you want to talk about her at all, but, um, you know, for a while you were, you were the only one and them not having the Peace Corps context and then just like being a female volunteer versus a male volunteer like how did you deal with like safety stuff and did you feel like the Peace Corps gave you the tools to like deal with that or did you feel like you were kind of on your own if something 
off happened to you or did you feel like it was a pretty pretty safe town you felt okay like going out by yourself um I think so no I didn't feel safe all the time I think it's the short answer and I could say there were a lot of reasons to that but like really it's the fact that I was a woman and I was like a minority in the town I was like the only person for a while that was an American and for a lot of people in foreign countries especially developing countries it means you have a lot of money and like even though I was just working as a volunteer like people knew I had a computer people knew I had an iPhone like people knew these things and knew that my iPhone was something that I carried on me so luckily my host family they were like you can't go out with that you shouldn't be in the streets after it gets dark unless we're with you like they were very protective of me and very honest about the actual security situation which you know the peace corps does tell you you need to always be aware of your surroundings because you're a foreigner in a foreign country and like that's just common sense but what i you know i could say what they didn't tell you but i honestly can't say if they told us this or not but definitely something that i learned through being in the town was like you can't really trust anyone like you just kind of have to make sure you have your own back and know kind of where your stuff is and where your mind's at at all times so yeah I didn't feel safe all the time and there were a couple situations that I look back on where I'm like that could have been very bad um rules were in place for us for a reason and like everybody broke the rules at least once um maybe a couple times but in my what were case, the rules for example so the rules is like the one that i mentioned so rules that the peace corps put into place were that we couldn't travel after dark which mm-hmm. makes perfect sense because the roads the highways very bumpy very hilly very poorly lit Mm-hmm. And there are like people on the highways who will rob buses at night because I the area like the is bus so highway cool. with Sam. We were bumping. Oh, yeah. It was great. We were and we sat in the back, which is like a bad <laughs> hostess choice. Like That's I don't know good. why we sat in the back. I should have put us in the front. But um yeah, they're very bumpy and it's like, you know, you go miles without seeing a town or a light or something. So like if you crash and like it's nighttime. There's not a lot of people coming by. Like, no one's coming to help you. There's no mm-hmm. service. There's nothing. And it's just, you know, like, as a person, a foreigner, and, like, not a lot of Americans or, like, anyone, really, were traveling out to these areas where we live. It just, like, didn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not smart to travel after dark. But, like, of course, that was something we did. Like, if we ended up going on vacation and, you know, we didn't want to leave, the hotel we were staying at until we absolutely had to mm-hmm. we would take you know we would say oh if we leave by six when the sun goes down like we're okay but for me that meant I wasn't getting back to my town until midnight mm-hmm. and like I should not be on the streets of my town at midnight walking with my backpack back to my house so that's one rule the other rules were just like there are certain areas in certain cities where we couldn't go so Columbia has a lot of major cities and none of them were really inaccessible to us. Mm-hmm. We just couldn't go to the south of Barranquilla or certain parts of Cartagena, which is a very like touristy town. Maddie was with me there. Um, were off limits to us because mm-hmm. it's just like not safe and not safe means like sometimes people get kidnapped, people get robbed, mm-hmm. just like things like that, things that happen in every country. So 
I don't want to make it sound like it's more dangerous than any other place because it's just like any other place and that when you're not at home and you're not in your house, you have to be aware of who and what is around you. So like, I think that's the foundation of it. But people, when you're like our age, so my cohort was between like 22 and 32. So we were really all within 10 years of each other. And like, we're young. And a lot of us were like, we're invincible. We can break all of the rules and there will be no consequences Mm. and everybody will get, get out safe. And that's like, that wasn't the case. People got kicked out. There were people who were assaulted, people who got mugged. And like those things happen when you follow the rules. So Mm. it's just like, it shows you why the rules are in place to begin with. So yeah, I mean, it happens anywhere, especially when you do things that people don't tell you specifically not to do. Um, but it is, it was a huge learning experience for me because I went in thinking that like I could do anything and I went out being like, there are great limitations to what I can do. <laughs> yeah. Great, so anyway. great training for the pandemic that we find ourselves in. You're like, hundred percent. Maybe yeah, you can yeah. speak a little bit to the the healthcare system, because I know you kind of alluded to it, that you felt kind of ill oftentimes when you were there. And I know you had some more like serious things happen and Columbia has a very different medical system. And then the added layer of the Peace Corps. Um, I've told the story on the podcast before of the great vaccine um, cat bite incident as well. So that was a very interesting um experience too so maybe if you want to talk through that because I know that was like a little bit shall I say traumatic for you and something to overcome very yes very it was very traumatic for me mostly because once the story had reached its end I was like how in the world did I not see that this was how this is going to end so the cat story is that my host family the woman who I lived with is a huge lover of animals and she got a kitten um and it's very rare to like spay neuter animals there it's just like something that costs a lot of money and not a lot of people do it so there's a lot of like feral cats she adopted a cat um brought it into the house and of course the cat you know gets to be eight nine months old and she's like in heat so she's wanting to go out into the street she goes out into the street meets like her lover and like it's pregnant has a lot of kittens and then like my host mom is able to gift a lot of them to neighbors but like ends up keeping this one cat that was like very like he was very testy and I don't really like cats to begin with so like this was kind of stressful for me I was like the cat cannot come in my room but like the female cat was very nice she would like ask me for food and I'm like okay like you're cute can't touch you but like I love you I'll give you love you're an animal like you love me back unconditionally right so fast forward to like the other cat growing up so it's two cats and they're these black cats and they're the male cat is big like he's a big cat I decided it's a good idea because my host sister had expressed her interest in getting a dog I decided it's a good idea to get her a dog and I'm like you want one? And she said, yes. And then my host mom was like, yes, we want a dog. And someone in a neighboring town who I knew through another Peace Corps volunteer had like a Pomeranian, like mixed with Chihuahua puppy that like had vision problems. Yeah. This dog is adorable. His name's zero. And he looks like a Fox. Like he's so cute. Um, 
And so I was like, do you want this dog? Like, we can get him. I'll go get him and bring him back. And they were like, yes. So I get the dog and we're teaching him, training him so he can go to the bathroom on the patio. But the cats hate the dog, obviously, because it's like this new thing in the house. And we're in the patio and the dog is going to the bathroom and the cats were like inside through this like gate. But I guess when I came outside, I didn't shut the gate entirely. So the cat snuck out. And of course I didn't hear it. And then all of a sudden, like I hear like screeching because the dog like freaked out because he saw the cat and with his bad eye, he was just like, what is that? And then the cat like went for the dog. So I picked up the dog because I'm like, I'm a dog person. Protect yeah. the dog, little puppy. And then the cat just like mauled my leg. <laughs> so, so I so it wasn't a feral cat. It was one of the well, here's the thing. The oh. first cat was, like, vaccinated and, like, very well taken care of. The second cat, he was, like, a street cat. And so I, like, show my host mom, and she was, like, which cat did that? And I was, like, I don't know. They look exactly <laughs> the same when you're picking up a dog. And she was, like, you need to get that checked. Like, he hasn't had his rabies vaccination, and he's always in the street. So I'm, like, oh, oh no. my God. But, like, at this point, I'm, like, desperate to get out of there because I had been in my town for, like, two months trying to get things done. So I could like really enjoy Maddie's visit and she's coming in like three days. So I'm kind of like, I call the Peace Corps doctors because I can't go get medical treatment in the town because they don't have the right rabies vaccine. Oh, so no. that's like a common theme is like my town has a hospital. It's pretty good, but not like a great um, vaccination kind of record or like if I fell and needed stitches, which did happen, I could go there and it would be fine. But like anything super serious, like a parasite or this like rabies thing I needed to like go to a city so I like bandage up my leg clean it out the best I can and like head up to the city with all my stuff and then I get there which by the way is how long it's like hours like five hours yeah hours it's like so you could just be dying of rabies right now yeah I could be dying I could be foaming at the mouth like in a bus with 20 people (laughs) packed in like sardines and like nobody would say anything probably because they're like oh it's just the gringo like he's fine um But I, yeah, so I get to the town and the Peace Corps doctor is like, okay, like we're giving you the rabies booster because we don't know whether or not this cat had rabies and you have to get one now and then you have to come back in 72 hours because other one. And I was like, 72 hours, like my friend is coming. I can't stay here. Like she she can't get here on her own, which is like so illogical because Maddie is like traveler extraordinaire. Like she would have been fine in the hotel for a night by herself. But I was like, She's coming all this way. I can't leave her here. Like, I need to go there. And so the Peace Corps doctor was literally like, I will package the vaccine for you in a cooler. And you can go to this clinic in Cartagena that we have a relationship with. And they will administer the vaccine for you. Now, I've already said it is like 100 plus degrees all the time. So I'm in a bus on the way to see Maddie. That's, like, not really air-conditioned very well. The vaccine's in the cooler next to me. It doesn't even cross my mind that that could be bad. And mm-hmm. I show up at the hotel, and I'm so excited to see Maddie. And I'm like, okay, Maddie, like, all good. I got to, like, go in the morning to get this administered. But, like, we'll be all set after that. We can hit the town. Sure enough, the next day I show up at the clinic, and they're like, we're not administering this vaccine for you. We have no idea where it came from. We have no copy. Oh, no. It could be heroin. Yeah. And they're like, we could shoot you up with this, and you could die, and then we would have that on their hands and I was like just a rabies vaccine talk to the Peace Corps doctor 
But of course, as they're explaining all this to me, I'm like, what was I thinking? Yeah. What was I thinking? So Maddie, bless her heart, gets in a bus on the bumpy highways with me and drives three hours on a day that we should have been at the beach sipping cocktails. It's okay. Well, the other oh. people that were at the beach got food poisoning that day, so we might have actually well, talked about it. But we did. We did. But yeah. So not. I don't have and. To say that I don't have trust in the Colombian health system is wrong because I didn't really deal with Colombian doctors. I was dealing with the Peace Corps doctors. And I think that structure and system was not the best. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, at least I got to see Barranquilla and the Peace Corps office. And yeah. I got to hear Sam yell at the Peace Corps doctor from the next room. And yes. Oh my gosh. I totally we got to go yell. to mcdonald's in columbia my favorite activity going to mcdonald's in foreign countries i love it um so it wasn't a a total a total loss and then the whole rest of the weekend was fine but yeah that was that was wild when you showed up with this cooler i was like do you have like a severed arm in there it was one of those like amputee you know like in the hospitals where they're like we have to rush to get the kidney to the new person it's like in the little cooler it was like one of those that I was like oh this is gonna be good (laughs) so I feel like we could keep talking for another hour but we may need to wrap and maybe bring Sam back for another one but um, Maddie do you have any kind of final questions that you wanted to ask yeah, I guess, like, what was um, your fondest memory looking back on your two years? And what was either your worst time that you're like, I can't believe I did that, or your, like, funniest memory that you're like, wow, that just unbelievable. Very similar to my final question, Maddie. Oh, so you read so my mind. Aligned. Yeah, so I feel like there were a lot of times that were bad. And, like, you'll see that in my journal and the text messages I sent to people like it was just a hard experience that I was not prepared for. I didn't expect it to be hard for me. And I know that's a reflection of like the fact that nothing had really ever been hard for me ever. Um, But it was like a great learning experience in that way. So I don't really have anything that was like, so completely terrible, because I'm here. And like, I'm, I learned a lot from the experience. So like, nothing was that terrible. The best thing would definitely be the people that I met. Because, like I said, my host family in my final town was amazing. And I learned so much for them. They were so, so patient with me. And it was, like, truly an amazing experience to have them be so willing to, like, learn about my culture, like, from me. And then also them being so willing to teach me how to dance, how to speak Spanish, how to cook Colombian food that wasn't, like, fried three times. And how to, like, really be, like, a more genuine, caring, and, like, less judgmental person. Because when you're in a situation like that, it's just where everything's new and everything's different. You really have to, like, let go of all the power you've ever had and really, like, let yourself be kind of subject to all the other people who really know what they're talking about, which was something that was really hard for me. And then I guess the funniest memory what is the funniest memory honestly i have one that you've told me their obsession the colombians obsession with john denver oh my gosh yes i have (laughs) never heard country road and is that me home country road 
to yeah. the place I belong. Like, so fucking funny that that's the song that they love. Three weeks in, somebody had been like, oh, I know this song. Like, can I play it for you? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And it was John Denver. And I was like, I don't know that song. And they're like, how do you not know that song? It's so famous. And I'm like, why are you telling me what's famous? And then sure enough, I like text my dad and he's like, yeah, that's a famous song. Like my aunts, my cousins, everyone's like, you dumb dumb. Like, of course, that's a famous song. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I was just like talking to this guy about how I'd never heard that song before when everybody knows it. But yes, like it was it was a reoccurring thing. Like it was three weeks in and then also like another six months in, like three or four times people sat me down and were like, let me play this song for you so you can hear how I can sing in English. And it was mm-hmm. that song. Which was so random, but like so funny. It's so funny. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, Sam, I just so proud of you and also what an incredible experience just across the board. Yeah. I mean, I definitely learned a lot and I do I do recommend it to people who want to do it and people, especially people who will go into the Peace Corps with like an open mind and knowing that they're going to get way more out of the experience they could ever give and that it's a time for you to like learn about another culture but also about like how we as Americans can be better and interact better with other cultures and people from different places and even amongst ourselves here so I recommend it awesome All right. So to end our wonderful interview, we're going to go into the archery range where we will ask you a series of rapid fire questions. So just answer with whatever comes top of mind. If we ask for a favorite, it doesn't have to be your favorite favorite of all time. It just has to be a favorite. So, all right, Maddie, you want to kick us off? Favorite book? Oh my gosh. Frankenstein. Oh, have you seen the new Frankenstein movie? No. Looks good. Uh, Favorite movie? Oh my gosh, favorite movie. Stand by me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a nice classic. Favorite TV show? Uh, regrettably, Dynasty. That's Whoa. I've the original or the new one? New one. The new one. I am terrible with terrible TV. What channel? Is, I don't even know what channel that's on. I watch it on Netflix. I don't okay. know what it's on. Yeah. Uh, favorite childhood snack? That's a hard-hitting one. Um, Dunkaroos. What? Oh, Dunkaroos, yes. Those just came that, back, I saw. That was such a time. Uh, favorite year of school? Um, probably my sophomore year in college. Mm-hmm. Favorite Colombian snack? Mm, patacones. Is that the plantains yeah that sounds really good <laughs> exciting I'm very hungry in case you guys couldn't tell yeah i love i really enjoyed all the food in columbia but to sam's point i don't think i would be able to eat it for two years straight without wanting something different but for the four days that i was there really spectacular um yeah. favorite place you've traveled but never lived oh my oh so you can't pick the pueblo or chicago or new york Definitely Rome, Rome, Italy. Love that. Great. Um, favorite place in New York? Um, my bed. Oh, <laughs> I hear that. I love that. Classic <laughs> answer. <laughs> I awesome. Love it. 
All right. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Um, is there any resources you can turn our listeners towards if they are interested in joining the Peace Corps or getting involved in, uh, you know, foundation work like you're doing now? Even though we didn't even get into that. We were just talking about it before. Yeah, it's definitely not the most interesting thing I've done. Here. <laughs> I think we spent an adequate amount of time on that. Um, definitely direct people who are interested in joining the Peace Corps. If you're still in college, check to see if your college has a Peace Corps recruiting office. Most universities do. Um, and then if they don't, or if you are older and not in college or not in grad school, um, Google it. Google the Peace Corps. Their website's really good, pretty interactive. Um, it has um, all the different countries and all of the different sectors. So as Maddie said, there's health, as I said, community economic development, English, there's agricultural stuff. There's something for a lot of people. Um, and if you do do it, I would encourage you to listen to the TED Talk that is a danger of a single story because it's a really good place to start to make sure that you go into the Peace Corps, the interviews, the recruiting, and the experience um, with the right mindset. So I'd be happy to share that link with Maddie so she can um, put it in the, in the notes. That'd be great. Thank you. Okay. All right, campers, thank you again for joining us, and we will see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.